Welcome in to a Tuesday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. A brutal loss last night to the Miami Heat, 98-88. to It felt like a taste of playoff basketball for the New York Knicks, Alex. And at least last night, the Knicks weren't ready for it. Yeah, I certainly hope that's not a taste of what the playoffs are going to be like because we're in for a miserable four games if that's the case. But at any rate, yeah, the Knicks, uh, they it was a tough first half for both teams, but unfortunately Miami cracked the code in the second half and the Knicks certainly did not. Uh, a little bit of timely shot making from Julius Randle and others down the stretch. Tried to get the Knicks back in, but it just wasn't enough. Miami put the foot on the gas and Put them away, but we'll get into that next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Pucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. You are Locked On Knicks, and this episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week. Thursday at 5.30. That's right, we're recording Fan Friday on Thursday. That way we can release the podcast on Friday. Uh, we'll be talking about the Mavs game, a a uh, reunion with a certain snake. I'll just leave it at that. To get in on the action, Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. This is Locked on Knicks. I am Gavin Shaw, across the river, somewhere over there. He's Alex Wolf. Um, I'm a play-by-play broadcaster. In non-pandemic times, but during this ongoing apocalypse, I'm just a meager podcast host. And as always, joined by you, Alex, the editor-in-chief of the best Knicks website in the world, the Strickland. And uh, anyone who's a fan of us or a fan of the Strickland, they had to watch a horrible game last night where the Knicks were absolutely anemic on offense, started off the night scoring just 16 points in the first quarter. Turned it on in the second, did have a 16-0 burst. Looked like they had control of this game for a little bit. But then Jimmy Butler got going in the second half. Had something like 19 points in the second. Finished with 27 points, 6 assists, 10 of 15 from the field, 7 of 8 from the foul line. Absolutely ripping the Knicks' heart out. Bam Adebayo without Mitchell Robinson to contest him. Had far and away his best game against the Knicks in three attempts on the season. And ultimately... New York just did not have the firepower to match up against the swarming Heat defense again and again. The Knicks' best options faltered under a whole lot of pressure. You go up and down the box score, and outside of maybe Derrick Rose, no one really had much of a night, Alex. But where do you want to start in this one? I think it would be that that Heat defense and just, in general, the intensity that the, the Knicks were facing. And, you know, to give the Knicks credit, like, I actually, the one good part of this game was I thought that they responded well in the first half um, where they started the game down big to Miami and then went on a, uh, on a 16 to nothing run 
in the second quarter that ultimately gave them the lead at the half. Uh, they were up, what was it, 43 to 36 at halftime, which is, is <laughs> a really pathetic box score. Uh, but then, the, you know, the Heat in the second half just came out with a better game plan, I think, than the Knicks had. Um, they managed to outdo their whole first half total just in the third quarter alone uh, with 39 points. And that was sort of what, what did the Knicks in right there. They just weren't able to come back from getting into that that hole in the third quarter uh, because they got outscored by 18 points. Uh, but the the Heat defense, I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I, I wasn't impressed. But, you know, they, on defense and on offense with the offensive rebounding, they were just – Bam Adebayo was, was huge. Uh, I saw a funny quote from him where he said uh, uh, it, he had 18 rebounds total and eight offensive rebounds, and someone on the Heat beat brought it up to him that, you know, oh, you had, you had eight offensive rebounds, you know, it, how important was that to the game or whatever. And he was like, I had eight offensive rebounds. Good for me. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, good for you, Bam. It was it was pretty pretty convincing performance for him uh, on the glass, despite the fact that Nerlens Noel held his own pretty good defensively. He just it exposed his his uh, futility on the glass a number of times. And uh, yeah, just in general, it, the swarming defense that you mentioned, they. It didn't really matter if they were going man or zone, which they they threw a little bit of both at the Knicks, but it just they were doubling ball handlers like crazy. But then not only doing that, which you know some teams have done that to the Knicks, but then been lax with the rest of their defense. But uh, they were doubling and then were flying all over the place, getting their hands on on passes, generating steals and. Uh, starting fast breaks, and it just was it was too much for the Knicks uh, in the second half. The Heat just decided we don't want to be on a seven game losing streak, <laughs> particularly to the Knicks. And you know they they decided to treat this game like a must win, like a playoff game, which you know honestly it kind of was for them, given the way that things are going in the East right now. Every single game matters, and that was you know that was all it took, and the Knicks wound up losing. But I don't know if if you had a different thing that you wanted to kind of harp on first but that was kind of my first impression was just the heat defense was a level that the Knicks were not quite ready for uh, on this day at least no it was it, I, I had a similar takeaway I mean it felt like we were watching the bubble heat defensively and then and then even offensively for stretches with the way they were pinging the ball around it, it feels like they're just warming into rhythm right now and obviously st- they still have yet to add Victor Oladipo, um, I, I mean, depending on how Miami finishes the year, that's going to be a really, really painful playoff matchup for someone. Can you can you imagine poor Milwaukee if they get Miami in the first round after last year? Um, it's not it's not necessarily an Im, implausible scenario, but at this point, I mean, especially with with Oladipo coming in, I wouldn't be surprised if they went on a, a big win streak and ended up being the four seed. Um, and uh, maybe the Knicks will get them. Maybe the Knicks will get someone else, but. It's been a trend all year when the Knicks have played Miami. It's consistently been um, one of their their hardest games, and I would say the most intense games they've played all year. I know Macri made a reference to like in his newsletters, like "Oh, the rivalry's back," and I, I was thinking like, you know, it's that's kind of been what I've been thinking every single game they played Miami this season. Um, both sides going really, really hard, and the Knicks 
I, I think the biggest thing for them tonight was that Julius Randle, um, despite getting the game off against the Bucks, didn't seem quite 100%. And, and then uh, Tibbs made some poor lineup decisions. But those are conversations, Alex, for a future segment. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to very quickly tell the good people about one of our favorite sponsors, one of the ones that we use the most, and that is Locker Room. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders. I would say we're insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I will be hosting rooms for the Locked on Knicks podcast once a week. We've already done it twice. Yes, you, I mean you, can finally join in on the conversation you listen to on here every single day. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You will have a chance to chat with me, Alex, and you might even have a chance to be featured on the Locked On Knicks podcast. We've been pretty good about that before. Everyone who's talked has, has gotten on the final pod through our Locker Room conversations. So be sure to join us this week, Thursday at 5.30 p.m. I'll be hosting a room, and you can join in. Go download the free Locker Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. You can follow me at Gavin-Shaw. Alex, I'm pretty sure you're at Alex-Wolf. Maybe just Alex. Just Alex Wolf straight, no dash. All right. No dash for me either, now that I think about it, to be notified when the room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it. I'm planning on going live this week again, Thursday at 5.30. I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Knicks. We'll see you there. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. All right, guys, we're going to get into more Knicks stuff. But if you want to get all the sports you need in under 20 minutes, we can do that with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts, which occasionally includes Alex and I. Somehow, inexplicable. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get pods. All right, Alex, I opened this up to a number of different avenues of conversation before the break. Um, I thought there were certainly some lineup issues tonight. Um, I thought this would have been a great game to get Emmanuel quickly more involved, given the way that the Heat were just suffocating. The Knicks on offense, it, it felt like for long stretches, especially when Alfred Payton was out there, but even, even when Derrick Rose was out there, the Knicks just didn't have enough spacing to really stretch out that zone and puncture a hole in it. I was, I don't want to say concerned with Julius Randle's play because I don't really put it on him. I think I'm getting concerned with Julius Randle's workload, but I know in the past you've disagreed with me on that being um, an issue to some extent. Uh, where, where do you want to go from here? Yeah, I, I still don't know if, I, I mean, I guess we'll have to see over time how things go with Randall like I would need to see a few games like this in a row to truly be like he's overworked he's you know whatever I I think weirdly he just got he seemed kind of rusty after uh just the one day off but you know maybe he's also he he also has that thigh bruise which might have been bothering him more than he was letting on but he wanted to get out there against the heat but, you know, it certainly doesn't help. Like, if his athleticism was hampered at all, he needs every bit of it against Bam Adebayo, and that's who they had on him for most of the game. I think that Adebayo is just one of those, like, you know how you talked about how, like, 
Ben Simmons is RJ's nightmare matchup. Like I think Bam Adebayo is kind of Randall's nightmare matchup where he's just as strong, just as fast, but you know, bouncier can block his shot, you know, is smart enough to not, you know, fall for his, his best tricks and stuff like that. I, I think that we've seen that each time that the Knicks have played the heat, you know, that Bam Adebayo definitely is a good positional fit with Julius Randle as far as defense is concerned. So, and, and even with that said, like Randall still put up a pretty respectable stat line. It wasn't his best, but like 22 points, seven to 17, three and nine from three, uh, five, eight from the free throw line was a concerning trend for the whole team. Once again, everybody shot 60% from the free throw line. Uh, but also eight rebounds, three assists. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was an okay game for Randall. I thought he just looked a little, I, I I don't know if tired is the word. I just, I think that he looked a little overmatched at times, you know, and maybe he was still hurting a tiny bit, but it did, it didn't bother me a ton, his game. Um, what did bother me was like what you said, the, the lineup decisions. I think that, you know, playing Alfred Payton for 19 minutes at this point and still starting him, I just, I don't understand the rationale. I, I don't know because you're you're tanking the value of some of your best players by playing him those amount of minutes and mostly with the starters. Like, I don't know what Tibbs has seen or not seen to make him think that playing Alfred Payton out there as the starting point guard is at all better than playing either Emmanuel quickly or Derek Rose out there as the starting point guard. Like I'd really be truly fine with either of them as long as it's not Alfred Payton at this point. But, you know, I think we saw perfectly in this game, like the Knicks came out flat to start the first and they came out flat to start the third. Like what's the common denominator there? Uh, you know, I don't think it's that hard to realize that it's Alfred Payton. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that he, just he doesn't provide any spacing against a team like the Heat where they were employing that swarming defense this whole time. He was the one guy that they knew that they could ignore. And early in the game, he wound up taking two three-point attempts and both clanged just like you would think they would. And the Heat knew, like, don't even defend that. You know, defend all these other guys. Pay attention to everybody else. Don't worry about Alfred Payton on the perimeter and literally all you have to worry about is if he gets inside. But if he gets inside, you have Bam Adebayo there who can just gobble him up uh, like he can the best players in the league. And so, you know, essentially Alfred was like rendered useless. I know nominally on the box score, if someone was just looking at the box score, they would say, oh, but he shot two of four, you know, only had five points, but he, at least he didn't shoot that bad, whatever. But it, it wasn't really about how he shot overall it was mostly about the opportunities or lack thereof that him being out there created for the team so again I, you know I, I always do kind of feel bad I, I don't think Alfred's a bad dude or whatever so I, I feel kind of bad crapping on him but this is sort of just our our daily crap on Alfred session because when he was out there I just don't think the team was as good you know and and we're seeing sort of the the real drawbacks of like, you know, his minutes have been going down and I give Tibbs credit for that. You know, him playing 19 minutes versus earlier in the season when he was playing 30 plus almost every game 
and you know quickly was getting buried on the bench and whatever uh, that's an improvement to a degree i guess but we're seeing like the detriment of like lack of spacing uh, pl- placeholder starts i guess oh, yeah. I, yeah i was gonna say just like a lack of spacing obviously but like the it, just the idea of of putting him out there to start like even if he's not gonna play the whole game it almost reminds me of like what the knicks did with taj gibson last year starting except for that actually made sense because mitch seemed a lot more comfortable off the bench and whatever and you know tibbs i think is sort of implied that like oh what are we going to do without quickly scoring off the bench but now you have derrick rose there so or you could just move rose to the starting lineup i mean i really don't think the decisions are that hard and you could just sit alfred payton but yeah i i think that was i if I had to point to one thing that I think led to the Knicks sort of tanking the first and third quarters, I, I think it was in large part the fact that the you know the Heat are smart enough to know that they don't have to respect Alfred at, at all, and that was basically what what damned the Knicks in the start of those quarters. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and I think um, another thing that really hurt them were the were the struggles of one R.J. Barrett, who had uh, arguably, I mean, his, his worst game, I would say, post. All-star break for sure, maybe even further back than that. 32 minutes, 4 for 12 from the field, didn't hit a 3, didn't hit a free throw, so just 8 points, 4 assists, 4 boards. Um, did did have some good moments in this one. We could start off with the positives, like had that pretty nasty uh, reverse spin on, on Tyler Hero. That was uh, satisfying for everyone uh, well locked in on this point on the uh, RJ over Hero camp. Uh, though Hero got the better of him in this game. That was a, that was a great play where he finished with the dunk. Um, but just just felt like a dispiriting night for RJ. Like, I, I think the play that summed it up best was he – I can't remember if he was guarding Duncan Robinson or if he got switched onto him, but just played, like, brilliant defense, was up in his face and basically saying, like, look, I know you're not going to do anything other than shoot a three on me, so I'm just going to pressure the hell out of you. Did that perfectly. Shot clock's winding down. Robinson pivots, hits, like, a fadeaway 25-foot three ball in RJ's eye. And I was, I, I remember just thinking that moment, all right, the Knicks probably aren't going to win this game. If Duncan Robinson, uh, bless his soul is hitting, is hitting that kind of shot. And offensively RJ, um, outside of that, that little spin and slam did have like a nice duck in, um, on a give and go with Julius Randall to open the third quarter that gave me a little bit of optimism, but then didn't score again from that point forward. He, he struggled against the heat all year. And I think it's because Miami is, I, I would say, along with Toronto and, and maybe maybe the Lakers when they're at full strength, as good as any team in the league at um, highlighting weaknesses and, and even being able to do that in, in the regular season when that's normally uh, something teams really fix in on in the playoffs. But just really, really pinpointing a, opponents' weaknesses and saying, all right, we're going to take away everything they do well, or, or at least like the top two things they do well. And they're going to have to really rely on tertiary aspects of their team. And, and if you're looking for, again, like an area where the Knicks can struggle to some extent in the playoffs, that's it. It's, it's how, are, how are their role players that, for the most part, I mean, the Knicks, remember, coming tonight and won three straight games, have generally been playing exceptionally well post-All-Star break. Like um, all the games they lost were against the Sixers and the Nets outside of that one Bucks blowout. Um, games that easily could have been victories. Um but how, how is that going to translate to the postseason? My biggest concern was, all right, but what, what are they really getting from the role guys in the postseason? Is, is like Obi, you would assume they're going to have to just take out of the rotation. 
Taj, who's been really good, is he is he ready for that like jump in athleticism and intensity? At his age, Derek Rose, you're going to get some good nights, but are, are the bad nights going to absolutely tank you? Can Alec Burks like and he was he was okay in this game, but after seven straight games of 20 points, he finished with with six points in 27 minutes. Is he going to be able to get to his spots? Is he going to be able to get shots off quickly? Is he going to falter under increased pressure? And again, he was really inefficient tonight. I, I think this one really highlighted if you're not getting that max production from Julius Randle, and that allows everyone else to play off him where he's getting two or three defenders looking at him every single possession. Um, is this thing going to work? And, and tonight, again, with some with some like notable notes like Reggie Bullock just coming off of injury, Nerlens Noel having to transition into being a starter, which he actually did exceptionally well. Um, there's this, this is These are the things to watch, I think, as the Knicks get closer and closer to postseason basketball. I, I do think you hit the nail on the head, Alex, to some extent that if you're going to play Alfred, that task just gets that much harder. And you're 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 basically doing these guys who are already at a disadvantage against more talented teams a disservice by just making their life harder. So hopefully that dawns on Tibbs at some point. But I, I think RJ Barrett was was somewhat emblematic of of the issues that Knicks are gonna face um in the postseason and beyond. But but, 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 but before we, we get into the specifics with the other guys, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give people a spot where they can bet on the Knicks postseason aptitude or, or that lack thereof. And that is bet online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's absolutely free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you can receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if, a very big if, use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Maybe they can even bet on Built Bar Madness, Alex. Yeah, it is time for the daily Built Bar Madness update. We have been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar in the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, fantastic tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all their bars. And now it's time to figure out which Built Bar is best. It is Built Bar Madness. And we have made it, guys. I don't know if if I've succeeded in getting you all hyped up for this, but hopefully, you know, you, you have some invested interest in this. We are at the flavorful four at this point. It is the hardest to say round in a podcast live read. It has made me stumble at least three or four times. But the first matchup today is cookies and cream versus cookie dough chunk. It's the battle of the cookies. And, you know, it's a tough matchup, but I think I am going cookies and cream all the way in this one. I think it is one of the best flavors of Built Bar overall. It beat one of my other favorites, Coconut Almond. So, you know, just for me, they got to win this one because if they lost, it was all for nothing. What if Coconut Almond could have beaten Cookie Dough Chunk? You know, it's just one of those one of those what if scenarios. So. I'm pulling for cookies and cream. If you want to vote, go to BuiltBar.com or go to Bar underscore Built on Twitter. And if you want to pick up a flavorful four variety box, you can do that. You can build your own box on BuiltBar.com of protein bars to send right to your door. 
you're not locked in on buying like 18 of one flavor, you can sample every Bill Bar flavor if you want and build a huge variety pack. If that's you know what floats your boat, go for it. And I would totally support you. Uh, and if you do, remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. All right, and that's it for this ad break. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. All right, Gavin. Uh, so I wanted to kind of respond to like what you're saying at the the end there. I, I don't necessarily know that I'm so th- actually, I guess. All right. I guess this is the conflicting thing to me. Right. So like uh, Colin Loring, who, who's who been on here before, writes for the Strickland, uh, wrote a recap last night where he sort of said, like, you know, it's time to start holding the Knicks to a different standard. Like it's I, I you know, it's reasonable to be uh, disappointed with them now if they come out and lose a game like this, because, you know, they're the four seed in the East right now, even if it's a flimsy foothold, that is a position that they're holding at the moment. Um, and, you know, the, it, I think no matter what, they're going to be a playoff team this year. I don't know what seed it's going to be, if it's going to be the four seed, or I honestly, I really don't see them going further down than the eight seed and, and having at least an advantage in a play-in scenario, but I guess we'll see. But I think it's pretty reasonable to say they're not going to fall any lower than 10th. Um, so regardless of what your ex- expectations are for them, you know, in some ways it seems like it's time to start leveling up our expectations for them and not just being like, oh, look at this plucky team that we have and being like, no, they, like you guys are somewhat good now. Like you shouldn't be coming out and and crapping the bed against, you know, the heat. Uh, and you should have a better game plan and Tibbs, you should have better substitution patterns and, you know, you guys should come out looking better. Cause really this is about three straight games now that they've come out really looking sluggish, uh, starting with that second wizards game. And then obviously the bucks game where they just eked out the win. Granted the Knicks themselves were kind of shorthanded in that one, but you know, they just barely snuck out a victory against the really shorthanded bucks. Uh, and then to come out this way in this game, it's it's slightly concerning. And, you know, there, there's a part of me that wants to be like, I'm holding you guys to a higher standard now. Like, you know, you're you're supposed to be better than this. <laughs> you know, we've seen that you could be better than this throughout this year. But then the other part of me, too, you know, is reminded, like you just kind of said, Gavin, like a, a lot of the players that have been really carrying the Knicks this year. I mean, Randall has, has taken his step forward. I I do think he's a legitimate star. And I mean, we even noted, you know, even on a quote unquote bad night for him last night, he still had 22 points on seven to 17 shooting three of nine from three, eight rebounds, three assists. I mean, he, he still puts it together on any given night, even if he looks a little uncomfortable, even if he doesn't look his best self, whatever. But then when you think about the other guys that have contributed so much to the success, like, you're looking at RJ Barrett, who's 20 years old. I mean, he's younger than a lot of the rookies this year, uh, is consistently on a lot of nights coming out there and and winning games for the Knicks or, you know, coming very close to winning them lately. So 
you know, I think that he's bound to have some off nights now and again, you know, particularly against Jimmy Butler last night, who's sort of proved to be this like fun, like other team mentor for him. I don't know. I guess it's probably because Tibbs probably set them up, you know, before one game was just like, Hey, you know, Jimmy, can, can you give RJ some pointers or whatever? And now Jimmy's, I guess, taken that to the point where it seems like he's totally fine with, you know, helping RJ out on the court uh, throughout games and stuff. There was a moment in this one where it almost seemed like uh, Jimmy got teed up for yelling at RJ. Um, but it, I think it was actually that he was yelling at Scott Foster, who happened to be over RJ's shoulder. Scott Foster, of course, being the ref. Um, but, you know, it was that made for kind of a funny moment. Clyde and Breen had a little like on air argument about who Jimmy was yelling at, where, you know, <laughs> it, it looked at first when you watch the first camera angle, like, oh man, yeah, he was ripping into RJ, but it seemed, it didn't seem like, like if he was yelling at RJ, it didn't seem like it was particularly incendiary. It just kind of seemed like him being like, like, you got to do better than that if you're going to stop me, you know, whatever. And, you know, it seemed pretty lighthearted, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but then when you saw a different camera angle, he was clearly yelling at, at Scott Foster, who was over RJ's shoulder. And, but then it was just this like funny exchange where like Clyde just didn't want to admit it was wrong. I guess it was because it was his birthday. Happy belated birthday to Clyde. Uh, he wanted to, he wanted to be right on this one. Um, but you know, he was like, Oh, well, you know, it looks like he starts off yelling at Foster, but then finishes yelling at RJ. And then Breen was just like, no, Clyde, I think he was just yelling at Foster the whole time. That's why he got the technical foul. <laughs> but at any rate, you know, RJ, to get back to my point that I was making before this, you know, RJ's been uh, such a key component to what the Knicks are doing, but he is only 20 years old still. Emmanuel quickly is a 21-year-old rookie, you know, and he's been such a key component, so many wins, and, you know, just so many of the games where the Knicks are, are playing as well as they are. Um, you know, you have a number of vets like Reggie Bullock, Alec Burks, like those guys you do expect to be able to, uh, you know, ultimately – give you more than maybe they gave you in a game like last night. But again, it, it's worth remembering that both those guys, I mean, they make a combined $9 million between the two of them. And there's a reason that that's the case. Like if Alec Burks was actually a consistent, efficient 20 to 22 point per game scorer, he'd be making a lot more than $6 million on a one-year contract. The reality is that he's kind of a streak player. Um, he both, you know, talent wise and mentally, he seems kind of streaky in, in the sense that he'll have five games in a row where you think he's an all star and then give you, you know, another three games where you're like, dude, how did you not recognize these million different situations throughout the game that ultimately didn't work out for you? Um, you know, and, and then right now you're also without your your starting center in Mitchell Robinson and you're starting a point guard that doesn't fit with the rest of your starters to start most games. So the, you know, there's a part of me, I don't know, I guess Gavin, there's this balancing act inside of me. Like my internal dialogue is like, is, is this team still a plucky underdog or is this team something more now that now we have to hold them to a higher standard? I think we're in this weird spot where the answer kind of falls in the middle somewhere where I guess you could say like, I expect more out of you, but I also understand if you're not quite ready to deliver that on a nightly basis yet. 
it, which is like a non-answer, but it just kind of is the reality of the situation to me, at least. No, I think I think you're in the right because they're. I mean, they're at a point, talent-wise, coaching-wise, um, like full full product-wise, where they're good enough to beat all the bad teams in the league. They should beat most of the like middling teams, like the teams nominally in the same tier as them, like the Chicago's, Atlanta's, the Wizards when they're playing well. Um, they, they they should they should win those games, and when they don't, you gotta you you have a right to be upset about it. Um, against teams like Miami, I, I just think this was a better team. This was we 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 saw we saw the group that made the NBA Finals a year ago, and the Knicks like they weren't quite ready for that kind of pressure defensively or that kind of ball movement offensively. And and it, I don't think I, I don't think they necessarily played horribly. Again, I'm I'm with you. When, we keep saying it over and over again. Some of the lineup decisions, but I really outside of Randall not being at quite a hundred percent, I don't think they had a horrible game. And, and you put in like, I mean, obviously to your point, Bam had something to do with it. Um, but you put in like a relatively normal night for Randall. I mean, the Knicks still only lost this game by 10. Maybe it's a, it's a five point game. And that's, that's about where the Knicks should be against the Miami Heat right now. So I, I don't really have any negative long-term takeaways. I think it's just a good reminder of um, if you thought the Knicks were, were even better than their record suggested, maybe tonight gave you a little bit of perspective on that. And as I talked about last episode, I thought there a lot of their lingering upside kind of rested inside of Mitchell Robinson and like on, on his shoulders and like his ability to turn it up a level and play at his absolute best. I, I thought that that was sort of like the means for the Knicks to make a big in-season jump because it felt like early in the season, he, he was kind of on that growth trajectory. And if the Knicks just got like a little bit better with their spacing, a little bit better at getting him the ball, um, I, I thought all of a sudden you could have a situation where the Knicks had five really, really strong starters. And it's not a shot at Noel, who is arguably the Knicks best player tonight. It, it, it just kind of, it, it's just kind of a fact about, about their overall rotation and, and the upside that Robinson brings on a night to night basis. So I think, I think you were missing that. Uh, Alex, we're, we're running a little low on time. So I was, I was going to roll through an MSG 90. Um, if that's, if that's good with you or, or if, if, if you want to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. I feel, I feel like I'm hogging it. No, it's fine. I I like listening to your uh your hyperspeed uh stuff here. It's like it's like we're in the Millennium Falcon, and then you <laughs> hit the the hyperdrive and uh, get us going for those last few uh, minutes there. So yeah, I, I'm I'm down to hear what you got. Unload the clip, get out all the all the stuff you need to get out because much <laughs> much like the last game, I'm pretty much ready to move on from this one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Throw ninety seconds on the clock, and uh, feel free to count me in. All right, three, two, one, go. All right, we're we're starting with some general stuff because I, I feel like I never talk about the game itself enough. Uh, we mentioned it that sixteen zero run in the first half, just one turnover in the second quarter for the Knicks. Um, I thought the Knicks were plagued by bad passing in this one. There were, there were a number of plays like there's one where RJ was inbounding it and literally flew through it from out of bounds to out of bounds, trying to get it to Julius Randle. That was really bad. It, it was an ongoing issue. Players were arguing literally every call in this game. I feel like that more than anything else is what made it feel like a playoff game. Jimmy Butler, absolutely amazing in the third quarter of this one. The Knicks, uh, Reggie Bullock, who looked a step slow um, off his normal gait, just, just could not keep Butler away from the rim. A uh, key sequence in, in the second half, Julius Randle misses a layup, heat run down, get a Duncan Robinson three, 69-61. IQ comes back, gets a three-pointer of his own, but then back-to-back threes from Andre Iguodala, Gabe Vinson, 11-point um, lead for Miami, one that they never relinquished. A hero started the fourth quarter with a four-straight three, 
And the Knicks played really, really great defense on that first position of the fourth, but gave up something like four straight offensive rebounds, which again is where you really miss Mitchell Robinson. The Knicks rebounding rate dramatically worse when he is off the court than when he is on it. The starters outside of Julius Randle going 0 for 10 from 3 in this one. Again, if you're looking for some outlier stuff to potentially be encouraged by, that is a stat that encourages me slightly. I don't think the Knicks shoot quite that bad in the future. Nerlens Noel, man, what a game defensively. Uh, I want to I go over everything, but he had this great like fake little dribble handoff where he turned, pivoted, went to the basket. I think the Heat were shocked because he almost never does that. Ran down the lane, got a slam. Also had a couple really nice jump hooks, a few nice short jumpers, and had the block of the season, or one of his blocks of the season, Andre Iguodala, trying to rise up in his 17th season, slamming his face. Noel was having none of it, sending him right back to earth. Derrick Rose, one of the few Knicks who at least statistically had a good game. He had this great drive around a Taj Gibson screen when the Knicks desperately needed a bucket to cut it to 64-60. Felt like the Knicks were on the comeback trail. Couldn't quite get all the way there, but had another really nice sequence, little Randall to Burks, to Rose in the corner, to like an insanely high-arcing three, and Tyler here was faced to get it to 86-78 after five straight points from Julius. Another situation where it felt like the Knicks were back in it, couldn't get all the way there. Emmanuel quickly, mixed night for him, came right off the bench, immediately torched his college backcourt mate, Tyler Hero, for a layup. Uh, a couple possessions layup later, excuse me, pump faked his way by Hero, tried to drive and dunk on, I think it was Precious Achua, but he got fouled. I, I just like quickly going that hard to the rim, not trying to finish with a floater, trying to finish with physicality. Uh, maybe a sign that his strength and athleticism are improving throughout his rookie season. Uh, came off the bench late in the third. Again, it just wasn't a heavy minutes night for him, but had uh, like almost immediately got a steal. Then comes down and answers Duncan Robinson's three with a quick one of his own. That was like five feet behind the arc. That got it to 69-64. Felt like a big play in the moment. Had another crazy three to open the fourth quarter where he was kind of dribbling away from Robinson. Felt like he was slightly off balance. Didn't fully have his feet set. Still able to hit it. I know he also missed a lot of shots. I'm choosing to ignore those. Play Emmanuel quickly more. Tom Thibodeau. Obi Toppin um, had what Mike Breen called his shot of the season. Um, I feel like his like it, it feels like the only way he ever gets to the rim now is by running those fake triple handoffs, and they work because like nine times out of ten he does actually hand the ball off and doesn't really want anything to do with it. But this time uh, caught Andre Iguodala. He got Andre Iguodala last time they played the Heat too, and, and then had this really nice step in layup, kind of beat Bam to the basket. Shows you what he can do when he can get up quickly. The issue is always with Obi is he he just has very few ways to manufacture rim looks. And, and, and that that continues to be a big, big problem for him. Also, quick shout out to Clyde and an interaction with Obi where Obi was like sprinting down the floor to get a loose ball. It, it, was, it was big puppy energy from Obi where it was well-intentioned, hardworking, but ultimately stupid because the ball was definitely going out of bounds. And by running down the floor, he gave Goran Dragic a chance to just throw it off his leg inspiring a great line from Clyde that said, Obi, Toppin, he should have been stopping. And and I'll, I'll cut it off there. I'll stop in myself, Alex. That was well over 90 seconds, oh, Gavin. That oh, was, my God. That was, I'm sucking. That, that was perhaps your worst effort yet. That was about four and a half minutes. What? Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I passed out. Oh. <laughs> Put it in your rate. Uh, yeah, my – my last couple moments that I'll shout out, I'll also shout out that Nerlens Noel uh, crazy dunk that he pulled off. I mean, just I didn't think he had that in his bag, man. And that's been like the second or third time that he's pulled one of those out recently where he just 
dri- <laughs> he just catches his defender sleeping, drib- puts it on the ground and dribbles it a couple of times and pulls, the, you know, throws down a big slam. Um, Clyde, I-, I thought it was hilarious. So it was his birthday, obviously. First off, you know, Mike Breen gave him a nice little touching tribute um, when they, you know, announced that it was his birthday over the over the PA system and everything. And they played happy birthday for him on the organ. It seemed like some people in the crowd were singing it to him. They showed Clyde in the broadcast booth. Very sweet moment. Uh, but for the MSG trivia, I forget what the question even was, but the answer was Ish Smith. And uh, <laughs> Breen spoiled it live on air the second that the question went up. Normally, they have a nice little segment where they'll kind of sit there and like ponder for a minute. And then, like, you know, 10 minutes later, they'll get back to it and they'll say, oh, it was so-and-so, How did, you know, blah, blah, blah. Breen like knew the answer right away and he goes, he goes, Clyde, this one's just for you on your birthday. It's your favorite player. And Clyde goes, Oh, who's that? He's like, Well, you know, think of, it was something about Trevor Reza has played for more teams than any other active player other than one player or something like that, I think was the the question. And he's like, Well, you know, he's he's your favorite player. We just saw him in Washington the other night, you know, blah blah blah, but he didn't play. And Clyde goes, oh, is it Ish? And he's like, yeah, it's Ish Smith. You know, sorry to anybody that wanted to ponder the trivia, but we're spoiling it because it's Clyde's birthday and it's his favorite player. Still amazes me that like one of the best point guards of all time and easily the best point guard in Knicks history, his favorite player is like a spot starter journeyman role player point guard that currently plays for the Wizards. I just I hope the Knicks sign him on a minimum deal one day, just even in the most twilighty twilight of Ish Smith's career uh, to finish things up with the Knicks. But at any rate, Gavin, I think that's a that's a good note to end on. Happy birthday to Clyde once again. Uh, so this has been Locked On Knicks. We'll be back a couple more episodes uh, this week as far as game recaps. So we'll have those. Of course, again, join us on Locker Room. On Thursday at 5.30, we're doing Fan Friday on Thursday because kind of makes sense. Now we'll get to actually release the episode on Friday and have it make more sense. So come through for that. We're going to be talking the Mavs game that's coming up later in the week uh, on Friday. There's also a Timberwolves game on Wednesday, so we'll have a game recap for you guys on that. And probably you know one or two other episodes. We might try to secure a, a cool guest, talk about something different. Uh, but until next time, this has been Locked on Knicks. We will talk to you all soon. Peace out.